This is Hungry Gen Podcast, and I just want to thank you for joining us today. Here at HG, our vision is to see thousands saved locally and millions globally. We hope you enjoy this week's message. And so the resurrection of Jesus Christ is not some kind of a secret that's supposed to be hidden. When Jesus rose from the dead, the church received a win in its sails. And the church went forward. The kingdom of God started to advance because everybody needs to hear about this good news that Jesus is a triumphant king. In the world of negativity, in the world of pessimism, in the world of defeat and sickness and disease and curses, in the world of cancel culture, in the world of trying to find forgiveness for yourself, numbing your emptiness with sin and ungodliness, we have a startling hope. And that hope is Jesus Christ. Amen. And so I believe that as we are being armed, as we are being empowered by that good news, we will go into our world. Our kids will go into high schools. We will go into our universities, into our places and be the salt and the light that God has called us to be. And we're going to make a difference in this world. And one day when Jesus comes, we will rejoice because of what He was able to do through us in our generation. You will raise for such a time as this. As a Christian, I want to remind you, if you're not a Christian, we're not just becoming a Christian so that we can have a home and a pie in the sky. We're becoming a Christian because Jesus Christ died for our sin. He didn't have to, but He chose to. He didn't die as a martyr. He died as a sacrificial lamb. And that's the difference. That means He controlled the outcome of what happened on that day. He says, nobody takes my life, I willingly lay it down. That means what happened on the cross did not catch him by surprise. He talked about it for years before that and disciples couldn't get it. Why is he talking about, why is he just going like, oh Debbie the downer on us. Why is he like talking about all these sad things that are going to happen. Why? Because Jesus knew it had to happen by the scriptures. He died because he needed to save us. Because he wanted to save us because he loved us so much. But once we're saved, we're not just getting a home in heaven and Jesus' presence in our heart. We have a purpose. We have a hope. And what is the purpose and hope? God loves this earth. This earth was not made by liberals. This earth was not made by a woke crowd or a woke mob. This earth was not made by religion either. Christians didn't make this earth. God did. He holds the title deed to the planet earth. It matters to him. The humanity matters to God. He's coming back. He's not going to settle in Mars. He's going to settle back on earth. God bless Elon Musk, but whatever he's doing over there is not going to matter because Jesus is not coming back there. He's coming back here. He owns everything and this belongs to him guys. And he's going to come back and he will establish his kingdom. He's not going to come back and just to kick the, the, the Antichrist out and then, you know, go back. But the Bible says he will bring his kingdom down on earth. And he will t- tabernacle. He will live. He will dwell with us. So that tells me we have a mission. We're not here to escape. We're here to influence. We're here to spread the good news of Jesus Christ. We're not waiting for the Antichrist. We're waiting for the outpouring of a greater measure of the Holy Spirit. We're waiting for signs and wonders. We're waiting for the new measure in God's power. We're going to colleges. We're going to universities. We're going to build homes. We're going to get married. We're going to build churches. We're going to build ministries. Why? Because we're here to make an influence for the kingdom of God. We're here to be salt and light. 
And when disciples at the end, you know, when Jesus rose from the dead, they're like, Jesus, so is this the time, you know? Jesus says, uh, none of your business. He says, y'all going to get the power and y'all going to go and influence. And that's what we're here for. So we have huge plans as though the Lord is not going to come for the next 300 years. But we live with readiness that He can come with the next 30 minutes. Amen. Amen. I want to share today concerning the power of resurrection. And the message that I will title is Encountering Jesus Christ Today. Encountering Jesus Christ Today. Resurrection is a really big deal. We like to say sometimes that, you know, God rose Jesus from the dead to prove that He was the Son of God. And that is true. But there's another side of that coin. Is Jesus rose from the dead because death couldn't hold him. And the reason why death couldn't hold him is because he had no sin. The sin that he took upon himself, my sin and your sin, he became the substitute sacrifice. Now the substitute, if you guys ever went to school, remember how we would have substitute teachers? Like the normal teacher that wouldn't show up, was sick or just didn't want to show up because we annoyed her so much. And then they would send the sub, you know, the substitute. And so that teacher took the place of the teacher. That's exactly what happened on the cross. Jesus Christ took your place on the cross. He became your substitute. He took your sin upon Himself and that sin killed Him. But, but because He Himself never committed any sin, when they laid Him into the grave, death couldn't hold Him. Because he was sinless. The testimony that he was sinless is so shocking that even Judas who betrayed him brought money back and said, I betrayed innocent blood. Testifying Jesus was not a sinner. Jesus Christ, even Pilate who didn't care about morals, he washed his hands and said, this man has done no fault. Herod who was crazy sent back Jesus to Pilate and said, I find no fault in him. The criminal on the cross looked to the other criminal and said, we deserve this. He didn't. The Roman soldier, when Jesus died, he says, this man is a righteous man. I want to tell you something. Jesus didn't deserve what he got. But he got that as a substitute. But because he himself is holy and there was no sin in him, when they laid him in the tomb, when death came to put its chains on him, they couldn't hold him. A spider was envious of a lion. So a spider decided to lure the lion into the cave and wanted to chain the lion with his web. When the lion came into the cave, the spider decided, this is my moment. Lion is asleep. I'm going to bind lion and I'm going to conquer the jungle and I'm going to be the king of the jungle because the lion will be bound. And the spider started to, you know, put its web around the lion's mouth, put its web around the lion's paws and the tail. And he finally locked the lion inside of the cave. He went to the side and saying, and now I'm going to see my triumph. When the lion woke up, he just simply yawned and the whole web was gone. He walked out of that cave, didn't even notice the web. That's exactly what happened 2,000 years ago. The death had no hold. It was like a spider web because Jesus was the Son of God who has never done any sin. Angels removed the tomb, removed the stone from the tomb, not to help Jesus out, but to let us in. He's no longer there. To let us know Jesus is no longer there. Go in and see He's not there anymore. 
Resurrection is a big deal for Christians. It's such a big deal for Christians that the early Christians, when Jesus rose from the dead, and I went today through, in the morning, went through the Gospels again and highlighted every time people worship Jesus. You know, the word worship is a big deal for Jewish people. In the Jewish culture, first two commandments prohibit you from worshiping anybody except God. Jewish people wouldn't worship anybody except Jehovah. Right after His resurrection, the Bible says disciples would worship Jesus. That's a big deal. That's breaking two commandments if He wasn't the Son of God. His own family worshiped Jesus. This is crazy. My family has a hard time acknowledging my brothers that I am a pastor. My brother still, you know, sometimes we come to the house and he's like, make sure that I know in the house I'm not a pastor, I'm a brother. <laughs> now my brother and the sisters, I love them, they're amazing. Jesus' family was crazier. One time they came to take Jesus out and said, Jesus is out of his mind. My brothers don't do that. Jesus' brothers, they came to take him. They said, you're out of his mind. His mom came and says, you're out of your mind. Yet after the resurrection, if your own family worships you as God, it has to be real. Uh-huh. Some of you have a hard time bringing your family to church. Imagine convincing them. Not the, not the people on the street, not people on Facebook. Your family, you're God. You can't do that if you're not. That to me is a big sign, Jesus is God. If his own mama worshiped him, if his James became one of his pastors, that means he's God. The Bible says that when the resurrection was such a big deal, that Jewish people turned the worship day, which was Saturday, to Sunday. Now for us, Saturday, Sunday, we're like, we have two days off, praise God. For Jewish people, Saturday wasn't like what we see it today. Saturday was like on the level of like the most important thing in the commandments. It was the fourth commandment. Jewish people honored the Sabbath, the Saturday so much that some started to speculate and spread these ideas that God created Sabbath and had nobody to keep it. So He made us to keep the Sabbath. This is how big deal the Sabbath was. So for Jewish believers, not only to break two commandments as it seems from the Jewish perspective, but literally break the fourth commandment and to encourage us believers, the Gentiles, to say, hey, we don't have to worship on Saturday because Jesus said He's the Lord of the Sabbath and because He woke up on Sunday, came back from the dead, we just gathered together and worship Him on Sunday in honor of His resurrection. The reason we gather on Sunday is to commemorate that resurrection. That's such a big deal. We as a church have two ordinances. All the Christian churches have two ordinances. Unless you're Catholic, you have seven. But we have two. And the two ordinances are Holy Communion and the water baptism. Meaning that's the two things Jesus told us to do. Everything else that we do is extra. But what Jesus told us to do is Holy Communion and water baptism. The Holy Communion remembers His death and the water baptism represents His resurrection. When you come out of the water, what you're doing is you're symbolizing His resurrection. Everything about Christianity is founded and grounded on this event called the resurrection of Jesus Christ. When somebody asks you, hey, you know, what well, your faith is built, built on the Bible. Not really. Your faith is built on resurrection. That the Bible documents, the Bible is the Word of God. 
But our faith is grounded not on the five books of Moses, not on 150 Psalms of David, but it's grounded on the event that split the history. And that is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Maybe you're sitting here and you're a skeptic or you're agnostic. And you're like, yeah, Vlad, well, that's cool and stuff. I mean, you know, I, I think you guys all just kind of came up with that to make Jesus better than he really was. In the Bible, in the Bible, in book of Acts chapter 1 verse 3, it says, To whom he presented himself alive after his suffering by so many infallible proofs. Somebody say proofs being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. There's three main arguments against the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the one is that Jesus did not really die. Jesus did not really die. Well the problem with it is Romans were really good at killing people. And Romans were really good at scourging people before they killed people. And a lot of people didn't survive the scourging. And the only reason why Jesus died before the two criminals is because he was beaten and they were not. Jesus was beaten. He actually collapsed under the weight of the cross and when he was on the cross the scripture says that he was dead before they speared his heart, before they pierced his heart and when they pierced his heart blood and water came out. Now for those people at the time it didn't mean much but medicine world today tells us that when you die your blood develops clots and it begins to separate from the water serum and so the fact that water and blood came out indicates he was gone. So Jesus was dead. They laid him in the tomb and he was dead. The second argument against resurrection is that, well, disciples stole the body. There was just one problem is that when women came and told disciples that the body is gone, disciples were asking, who took it? They thought the Pharisees stole the body. If that was the case, they were such a cowards. Peter denied Jesus three times. They were scared for their life. They had no reason to steal the body. They had no means to steal the body. These were not Schwarzenegger walking Iron Man, tough Navy SEAL special forces guys. These were cowards. They were wimps. They were weak sauce. They were so weak. The one guy ran naked when he saw soldiers trying to arrest him. Okay, and now what? They would take on 16 Roman soldiers and then and just steal the body? Those Roman soldiers would squash them like mosquitoes. They wouldn't be able to do that. The third argument is the disciples came up with a story. They pretty much made up this story to make Jesus look good. Now, maybe one person who has a deranged, something wrong with their mind could come up with something like that. But typically a sane not a person with a mental illness but a sane person would come up with a lie for three reasons. Money, sex or wealth. I have a guy that's pretending to be me on Instagram. There's about a few of them but I think it's one who's just creating different profiles and who's sending messages on Instagram to everyone saying that I have an orphanage in Nigeria and for you to donate money through WhatsApp. Now the reason why he's doing that is so that he can get money. He's pretending, he's lying, he's deceiving people. Some people deceive for power and others deceive for sex. Now the disciples of Jesus Christ did not get any of that. They didn't get money because Peter testified, he says, gold and silver, I have none. They did not get political positions and they didn't get a lot of sex. Because if you read their teachings, you see that they lived very 
impure sexually lives. It cost them their life. Maybe one guy would somehow think that this idea could one day generate so much interest and Peter could be so famous that cathedrals will be built in his name. Maybe one. But you can convince hundreds and thousands and now millions of people. And all the Pharisees had to do was to find the dead body of Jesus and Christianity would be flashed down the toilet. But the body is not found. In fact, when I went to Israel, they said there's three empty tombs of Jesus, not one. <laughs> but all three are empty. <laughs> they don't know where he was buried for sure, but the three places they think he was buried, all three are empty. That's what the world thinks about the resurrection of Jesus. We believe that Jesus rose from the dead. And we have three main reasons for it. One is the proof. The other one is the scripture. Predicted, prophesied that before. And the third one is the personal encounter Jesus has had with people like Pastor John, like his wife Michelle yesterday, like many of us in here today. And those personal encounters have changed our life. Now the first one, let's dive into the first one, just go through it quickly, is the proof. Our faith is not built on our experience, it's built on our evidence. We have experience, don't get me wrong, especially we Pentecostals, we got a lot of experience. We love experience, man. Jolt me with the power. I love the Holy Ghost power. We love that. But we are not based on our experience. We're not based on our feelings because you can get experience by taking drugs. You can get experience by participating in certain religions. Our faith is built on evidence with infallible proofs, the Bible says. What is that proof? It's the empty tomb. When disciples were not sure that Jesus rose from the dead, women came and they said, empty tomb. And disciples says, yeah, we don't believe it. Guess what they did? They ran to the tomb and then the Bible says, then they believed. So the evidence creates our faith. It gives us ground for our faith. Now the problem with resurrection, with the issue with the empty tomb, let's dive in just a little bit deeper. When they went into the empty tomb, the tomb was completely empty and the angels showed that there's some cloths there. I find that interesting. I think in the Gospel of John, it says that when disciples went in, they saw Jesus's face cloth folded. Like I think that's a good revelation parents you can use for your kids to fold their clothes. It's even Jesus was leaving the, the tomb and he still folded his clothes. You're not leaving my house, you should fold your clothes. I just gave you a little ammunition to help your parenting parents. But think about it, if somebody stole his body, why would you bother fold the clothes? Anytime a thief steals something, they don't fold anything in on their way out. So disciples saw the tomb, disciples saw the clothes and the Bible says they believed. Evidence was enough for them to believe. Scholars tell us there's more evidence that Jesus walked out of the tomb than there is that Julius Caesar was alive. There's actually a writing from Josephus, a Jewish historian who is not a Christian, who said this about Jesus. He says, about this time there lived Jesus a wise man, if indeed one ought to call him a man. For he was, he brought surprising feats and was a teacher of such people as accepted the truth gladly. He won over many Jews and many of the Greeks. He was the Christ. This is Josephus. This is not because some people are like, well, only the Bible records Jesus' resurrection. Not really. There's other historical documents that record Jesus' resurrection. And one of them is a very famous Jewish historian, Josephus. And he says, he was the Christ. 
when Pilate upon hearing him accused by the man of the highest standing amongst us had condemned him to be crucified those who had it in the first place came to love him did not give up their affection for him on the third day he appeared to them restored to life for the prophets of God had prophesied these and countless other marvelous things about him and the tribe of the Christians so-called after him has still to this day not disappeared if you don't believe the gospel accounts will believe history it's a historic resurrection of Jesus Christ is a historical event it's not a hoax our faith is not built on fantasy Disciples did not get drugs and came up with this idea and wrote it down. If they would, they would never put as women the first witnesses of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Women's voice in that day did not carry any weight. Even in our generation, only until a few years ago, until the hashtag Me Too movement, women's voices were not taken seriously. But Jesus appears to the women and disciples document that knowing that if we come up with the story, this won't sell. Because this stuff you can't come up with. This is so real. This is so radical. This is so supernatural. This is crazy. A German, a German philosopher said this concerning the resurrection of Christ. He says, the evidence for Jesus' resurrection is so strong that nobody would question it except for two things. First, it's a very unusual event. And second, if you believe it happened, you have to change the way you live. You know, when Pharisee says, are you the son of God? Jesus says, I'll show you. Well, show us something now. Show us some magic. Jesus is like, that, that won't sell. He says, the real, real sign is the sign of Jonah. Three days in the womb of the fish or three days in the belly of the fish. And he came out three days in the heart of the earth. And I'm going to come out. And guess what happens? When they saw the truth, instead of believing the truth, they came up with a lie to masquerade the truth. To, so the truth is so dangerous that it can set you free, but it usually makes you miserable first. And a lot of people think, oh, if I would just know the truth, would you believe it? Would you believe it? Because truth is dangerous. And that's why many people would rather do anything but believe the truth. Evidence points to the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. Even if you've never met Jesus, and you're here today, or you are a Christian, I want to provoke you to think our Christian faith is not stupid. It's supernatural, but it's not stupid. What we believe in is supernatural, but it's not superstitious. What we believe in is supernatural, and it sounds crazy, but it's not stupid. Our faith is not blind, nor is it foolish. Our faith has evidence and it's difficult to digest that with the natural mind but it's very difficult to reject it because what Jesus did is undeniable. He rose from the dead. He robbed the grave. He's a supernatural God who does supernatural things and He did it 2,000 years ago. He did it in my life and He did it in your life. Somebody give God some praise right now. We believe in the supernatural God. We see supernatural, but our faith is not stupid. Oh, but it's just not educated. You know, like there's just lack of education. You examine the evidence and the evidence will point you to Christ. 
Evidence will point you to Christ. The second part that I want you to notice, not only there's a proof for our faith, there's evidence for our faith, but the second one is that there is predictions or the scripture. There was prophecies in the Old Testament that point to our faith. And Jesus did that surprisingly. When he rose from the dead, many times he would talk to his disciples and the Bible says he would tell them of the scriptures where prophets and Moses prophesied concerning Jesus. So instead of just showing them his scars and taking them to the empty tomb, he would take them to the scripture. Now for us, the Old Testament scriptures don't have, don't have so much value as for the Jews because that was not our culture. For Jewish people, the scriptures was not just the Bible. It was actually the code of their conduct. It was, it was like their independence, um, their um, inst- uh, constitution. It was everything for them. So it was a big deal for them. But Jesus takes them back to the scriptures because the scriptures, you know, are the word of God. And it's interesting because in the scriptures, there is over 2,500 prophecies about the future. Now, Simpsons claim to have 30 predictions about the future in the last 30 years. I don't know how true that is or not, but Jesus's predictions in the Bible are about 2,500. And out of 2,500 predictions, 2,000 predictions have come true. So now like even the things the Bible talks about, like the chip that's going to come up and the Antichrist is going to stamp everybody with his number. Like it's not that difficult to believe in that now. A few more years and Elon Musk is going to make that up. Or maybe he already has been in a factory. Who knows? Like we live in a day, what happened during the pandemic? How you saw the whole world shut down in a week? And everybody got paranoid and was willing to do whatever the government tells us to do. Like all it takes is just another sickness to be released. It doesn't have to be from Wuhan. It could be released from Washington DC. Or Bill Gates' house. <laughs> just kidding. I had to throw that in. Come on, sorry. It had to come out. God bless Bill Gates. But... Now we look at the book of Revelation and it doesn't sound as a foreign figment of imagination. We're like, well, this, this is actually possible. Somebody went in into 21st century and wrote that down. And so the rest of the 500 prophecies will come true. And Jesus takes disciples in through the Old Testament and he begins to show different things in the Old Testament that point to him. Now, one of them that I absolutely love, and that is, I find captivating this week. It really came to me as like a revelation. And that is the rod of Aaron. Now, most of you know the rod of Moses. You know rod of Moses? Watch the movies. Moses does this thing and then the sea splits. Moses, you know, and then, you know, everything just kind of changes. It was like a magic stick, but it wasn't a magic stick. It was actually the rod of God. It was the means by which God did in Moses' life to do miracles. What you will find fascinating is that some of the miracles were done through Aaron's rod. Aaron had his own rod. I mean, everybody in those days had a rod. It's kind of like having a car now, you know. So everybody had the rod. And so, and Aaron had his own rod. And it was actually Aaron's rod that was thrown into the Pharaoh's court that the Bible says that turned into a snake. I'm not going to throw it on the ground just so it doesn't become a snake. Who knows? Maybe it's my, my rod that could become a snake too. So we won't be playing those games here today. But the Bible says that the, the snake bit all other rods that turned into snakes and he ate that. So Aaron's rod was eventually used to touch the water and the water turned into blood. And then one day Israel, the people of Israel, Korah was one of those guys from the tribe of Levites who really thought that Aaron and Moses were like running the church the Israel like a mafia, just like a family thing, you know, like nobody else could get in. They were the only two guys that were like hurt from God and they didn't let anybody climb that corporate ladder, ladder of, uh, you got that. Um, and so they didn't allow anybody to kind of hear from God. And so they rebelled against Moses and Aaron. 
Now the earth was not very kind to them, opened its mouth, just ate them for lunch. And you would think everybody will learn the lesson, don't talk smack about Aaron and Moses. But people didn't learn the lesson. They became so upset that the earth ate the three boys and so that they start rebelling against Moses and against Aaron. God had it enough and God's like, you know what, I'm gonna once and for all, I'm gonna clear the air and I'm going to settle the record straight. I'm gonna ask every tribe leader to bring a staff. Something like this, again, seems like everybody had those. They brought the staff and God says, I want you to put this on in front of me and then as you put it on tomorrow I will let you know who is my guy and in Numbers chapter 17 and verse 8 it says now it came to pass on the next day that Moses went into the tabernacle of witness and behold the rod of Aaron of the house of Eli has sprouted and put forth buds and had produced blossoms and yielded ripe almonds it got resurrected now keep in mind, a rod, what is a rod? It's a branch that's been cut off from its source. It has no life in it already. That's why nothing grows on this. There's no fruit on this. There's no leaves on this. It never gets green because there's no life in it. And that's the symbol of Christ. He was cut off at the time of his death. And the next morning, on Sunday morning, God proved that Jesus is different than Alexander the Great, than every Pharaoh, every Nebuchadnezzar, every dictator, every leader, every Muhammad, every Buddha, every wannabe God, because God raised him from the dead. He caused him to bloom and blossom and produce almonds. Come on somebody, give God some praise right now for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He is the risen King. Hallelujah. So the Old Testament has these pictures of the resurrection of Christ and Jesus meets as a resurrected Savior and He begins to take disciples through and shows them not only the empty tomb but look this is recorded. It's all over. There's breadcrumbs in the Old Testament. And the last one is that Jesus, the Bible says, He presented Himself. He personally encountered people that changed their life. Now we've heard testimonies in here today, a testimony. We hear these testimonies every week. Why is this important? Because Jesus expects us to believe the testimony of other people about Him. Jesus expects us to believe the testimony of other people about Him. There's four people He encountered. The first one was Peter. Peter, I call him the one who got devastated by his sin. Peter, when Jesus was encountering Peter, angels told the women, go back and told, tell all of his disciples that Jesus is waiting for you guys. Here's the pin, here's the location. Let me drop it to all the disciples. Drop the pin location, where he's going to be. And by the way, don't forget to include Peter. Peter got his own special invitation. Why did Peter get a special invitation? Because Peter was a special sinner. Everyone sinned generally. Like everyone kind of denied Jesus together as a group. Peter always stood out. When he denied Jesus, he denied him specifically three times. He did it very loudly. It ended up everywhere in line. You know, there's recordings of that. Again, me paraphrasing this in a modern, uh, modern way. Is Peter denied him in such a way that he felt so bad. Jesus had to send a rooster to remind Peter, you're a really bad sinner, Peter. 
Peter, you really have too much confidence in yourself and your confidence is going to fail you. Peter does not represent the drug addict or the prostitute who has never met Jesus. Peter represents somebody who had a relationship with Jesus, who actually was even involved in the ministry, who maybe had a leadership position, who maybe even went to a Bible college, whose grandpa was a pastor. Peter represents those people who have read the Bible from the beginning till end but because they had too much confidence in themselves they found themselves disappointing themselves and now they're devastated by their sin and it's not that their sin is something that is the worst it's that they knew it better see Zacchaeus Zacchaeus was just a bad sinner but he did not know better Mary Magdalene, she just had seven demons. She did not know better. The prostitute, well, let's blame it on her dad. She didn't have a father in her life. She just never was religious. But Peter was a disciple, apostle, doing miracles, casting out demons. And now he just flops, falls, falls from grace. Scandalous, horrible. He, he should have, he knew better. He should have done better. Cancel culture went, went for him. And Jesus says, I want to meet all the disciples and Peter. There are people in this room today, you're just like Peter. The weight of your sin is heavier than the weight of the sin of the sinner because you have the knowledge, you had it before you did it, that it was wrong. And the devil uses that today and tells you, your sin makes you unworthy of Jesus. And there are some of us in this room who are watching us online right now. We want to do what Judas did. We want to learn to forgive ourselves. We want to learn to do good things. If I could just go to church on Easter and Christmas. If I could just give some money to the Red Cross. If I could just cut back on my drinking and cussing. If I could just cut back on the bad things. And once in a while maybe think about the Ukraine refugee crisis. This will really increase my credit score with God. But I want to tell you something. No matter how much money Judas gave back of what he did. It didn't solve his guilty conscience it hanged him don't try to save yourself if that would have been possible God would send the Savior God wasn't dumb and stupid when he sent the Savior God calculated every chance and found out it's not possible for you to clean your mess you need a savior. I don't care how many degrees you have. I don't care how many years you've been in church. I don't care who your mom or dad is. It doesn't matter how much money you have. You and I are sinners and we need a savior. And Peter is the one that Jesus restores. Just because you've been a Christian, it doesn't mean you're not capable of sinning. And just because you've sinned as a Christian, it doesn't mean Jesus' grace has been expired and it's only available for the bad people in the street or some of those people who have completed nothing, no knowledge about the gospel. The grace is also for us as Christians. Don't be a chef who dies out of hunger in the kitchen. Don't be a Christian who tells other people about the good news and when you need that good news, you're afraid to reach it because you're like, I knew it better. I should have not done it. I should have not. I've made a promise. I did a testimony on the stage. I recorded a video and I said that God delivered me and I found myself back in the same sin that is grace for you tell the disciples and Peter tell the disciples and you and you and you and you that I am waiting for you in the Galilee I am waiting for you at the altar I want to wash you I want to forgive you I want to restore you I want to renew you that is another chance for you I love you says the Lord
The second person that Jesus encountered and that one was Cleopas. Cleopas was the one that was walking from Jerusalem and he represents somebody who is disappointed because his, his expectations were not fulfilled. Cleopas represents those people who have this idea of how God's supposed to do things because we take God's promise, we add our own method and our own timeline to it and typically God always is faithful to His promises but He is not committed to our versions of how they should come true. God commits, God is committed to His Word but there's not one person in this room who has never been disappointed in God. If we're honest. Where God didn't do something, it, it feels like God left something undone and Cleopas was one of them. He didn't necessarily disobey Jesus or excuse me, denounce Jesus or, or uh, deny Jesus. Cleopas was simply had huge expectation that he would redeem Israel. And he really was hoping, he was accurate because God's promise said so. He just put his time clock on it and he thought this is how it's going to happen. And when Jesus did not do what Cleopas thought he should have done, he became extremely disappointed. Maybe one of the reasons you stopped burning for God and going to a local church is because you were disappointed that your prayer for somebody you love was not answered and they died. If they went to heaven, I'm pretty sure they will slap that thing out of you and say, listen, what are you crying about? I went to a better place. Don't let your disappointment in how you think God should have acted. God is not somebody you can control and manipulate to do whatever you want. Our faith in God is not in what He can do, it's in what He has done and who He is. And Jesus walks alongside Cleopas and another disciple and He begins to like dissect and break those wrong expectations and He begins to tell them, He says, listen, Jesus was supposed to suffer and then enter into His glory. And I wonder sometimes if we miss the process and we only focus on the promise. I wonder sometimes even in our own life when we have certain expectations where God will bless me. He will send me a husband. He will give me a breakthrough. You know, God will really use me. God will give me a ministry that will reach the world. But the problem is that God never tells you the process. But because we're super creative, we went to school. Guess what happens? We develop our own little artificial processes. And then we see God is not taking our cues and our ideas and God takes a completely different route and we get disappointed in God. I want to encourage you today to trust in God, not in your own view of what He should do. He will never disappoint you, but your own faith can disappoint you. If your faith is in your faith, it will fail you. But if your faith is in God, it will stand strong because God never fails. The third kinds of people that Jesus met is the Thomas. Thomas Thomas was the doubting one. If Peter was devastated by his sin, if Cleopas was disappointed by failed expectation, Thomas was the one just doubted. He had a hard time believing that Jesus was who he said he was because he didn't believe other people. He wanted to experience everything by himself. And then Jesus proves to Thomas in a very supernatural way. To Peter, he did a miracle at the sea. For Cleopas, he simply explained the scriptures, his heart caught fire. But with Thomas, the Bible says he came actually in the room, he says, peace to all. And then he says, Thomas, I want you to touch my scars. Now, Jesus had a resurrected body. It could go through the walls. It could change appearances where you wouldn't recognize him as Jesus. It was a really cool body. It was like a glorious body. I find that interesting that God still left a defect in it. God still allowed an imperfection because everybody who's ever been hurt or injured, you know one thing, you hope that your scars disappear. 
Jesus left those scars to be identified by Thomas and those scars were left there not so Thomas can be reminded that you're a jerk and I died for you but so that Thomas and I can be reminded of his love for me and to strengthen my faith and when he touched Thomas when Thomas touched Jesus his faith was strengthened there was a little boy and he was living with his grandma his parents passed away and one day there was a fire that broke out in their apartment and his grandma was trying to rescue him going from one room to another and in the process she died she got killed by the fire a gentleman that saw the fire from the outside went on pretty much on this utility pipe on this iron drain pipe he pretty much climbed onto the second story and he heard the boys cry and so because he was climbing on this pipe you know his all of his hands already as the skin start peeling they, it starts getting marred and start getting starts getting burned so he captured the boy he held him in one hand and he claimed climbed down through that pipe as he rescued the boy a few weeks later they held a hearing at the city because they wanted to find who can adopt this boy since his grandma was gone and his parents were gone some three candidates showed up and you know one of them was some wealthy guy another one was like a mayor and the other was somebody else and the boy kept his kept his eyes on the floor and his shoes and he wasn't even looking up until a man came forward and he says guys you're doing this the wrong way he says I'm gonna be his dad I'm gonna be I'm gonna adopt him and finally when the father came, when, when this man came and he took the hand of this boy, the boy felt something in his hand because his hand was scarred because he was saving him. And when he looked up, he realized it was the very man who risked his life and, and went to the fire to rescue him and his hands carried the resemblance. He broke down crying and he says, that's my dad. See, that's who your father is. He didn't sit somewhere in heaven and controlled everything and sent one of the angels. He actually came down and he has scars to prove it. For eternity, most likely we will see Jesus as the lamb that looked like was slain, meaning we will see those scars. And these are not imperfections. These are signs and symbols of his love for us. If you feel like God doesn't love you, I want to let you know there's proof he does. It's the scars of Jesus. Don't look at your scars, your problems, your challenges, where you failed, where you felt like God dropped you and God wasn't there. And why did God allow this? No, no, no. The real proof of God's love is not what happened to you or what did not happen. It's what happened to Him on your behalf. He died on a cross to strengthen your faith. Are you a doubting Thomas? Are you doubting God loves you? Are you doubting that God cares for you? Are you doubting you're an apple of his eye? Are you doubting today that God has a special plan for your life because your life seems mundane, it seems the same and it seems that God loves other people because they get these encounters and these blessings but not you. Jesus is coming to you Thomas today and he's showing you his cause and he wants to let you know I love you the same. I love you with an everlasting love. I love you with unconditional love. I love you with a deep love. I love you with the love that is backed up with my death. I came on this earth and took your place. I didn't have to do that. Nobody paid me to do that. I didn't do it out of the pity. I didn't do it out of a necessity. I did it out of love. They call it the agape love. The love that never fails. The love that is not conditional. The love that doesn't have strings attached to it. It is the love that died on a cross. It is the love that came down in the power of the Holy Ghost. And it's the love that is telling you today, I love you. Doubt no more. I love you. 
and the last person that Jesus encountered that changed their life and this one is Paul. If Peter was devastated by his sin and Cleopas was disappointed in his expectation and Thomas doubted love of Jesus and the presence of the resurrected King, Paul, he wasn't devastated by his sin. Paul didn't know he was a sinner. Paul wasn't disappointed. Paul was an angry terrorist. Paul, he didn't have doubts. His education was equivalent to two PhDs. Paul was the intellectual of the day. He was the brains of that day. And Paul, what was Paul's problem? He was dead wrong. He was dead wrong. You know how Jesus encountered him? Not with gentleness. Jesus didn't encounter him with scars, dropping fish in his boat, walking and explaining the scripture so his heart caught fire. Because sometimes when you're dead wrong, Jesus shows up to help you snap out. And for Paul, he blew him out of his out of his horse. He came in as a mighty Messiah and Paul fell from his horse. Paul heard the voice of Jesus and Jesus says, Paul, listen up boy, why are you persecuting me? Straightforward, bold, audacious, I mean strong question. This wasn't like, hey Paul, you want to be saved? Do you have a God-shaped hole in your heart that I want to fill? Like, Paul, you're dead wrong. Why are you persecuting me? And Paul's like, uh, who are you by the way? And he says, uh, I am Jesus, the one you're persecuting. There was no empty tomb. There was no exegesis of the Old Testament. There was, bam! And you know what Paul did? He went blind first for three days. So for those of you who are like, man, I am dead wrong. I want Jesus to encounter me. No, you don't. Some of you will be in the hospital. You know how this happens? You end up in a hospital. You end up at the rock bottom where God breaks every layer of your pride. Where everything you rely on and walk around with this thing that I am something. If you got people praying for you and you're dead wrong, I feel sorry for the encounter you're going to have with God. Yeah, but you will have an encounter and God will shatter your pride to a million pieces. Why? Because He loves you so much. And because you're so proud and so arrogant and so stuck up, that is the only way God can break that heart that is hardened by sin and reinforced by religion. And he encountered Paul. And Paul wrote two-thirds of New Testament. And there's some of us here today, you've had that Paul encounter. And your life wouldn't be the same without it, but you do not wish upon anybody else to have that. You're like, man, just do it the easy way. Just come to the altar and repent. There's a better way to do this. The Lord wants to encounter you today. He is the resurrected King. There's a proof that He is alive. There's scriptural evidence that He rose from the dead. But honestly, until you experience Him, He will be a dogma, a doctrine. You will not, until you encounter Him, your life I feel like will not change. What's a beautiful thing about Christianity is you don't have to go to university to learn it. You can encounter the person today and it's very simple. You believe in Him and you repent of your sin. And as you come to Him, He will be here to meet you. He can be right there to meet you. Some of you, you feel your heart catching fire even as I'm preaching. That is the presence of the Holy Spirit. I want us to rise. Thank you. Every head bowed and every eye closed. We've heard so much today concerning this Jesus. From the testimony to the preaching of the good news. Now is the moment for action. The truth is, 
you and I are the sinners. The truth is we only have one Savior and He's the one that rose from the dead. And the truth is you're facing a decision right now. And for some of you, you've been postponing this decision for too long and you have to make the decision right now. There are people in this room, you're like Peter. You used to be, but now you have to recommit to the Lord. There are people in this room today, maybe you're, you're like Paul. You're just stuck up and you need to break down today before God. You need to lose your dignity so you can find divinity. And maybe somebody here today, you're just doubting God's love. I want to tell you, whatever category you're in, Jesus is there to encounter you. Every head bowed and every eye closed. If you're in this room and you say, Vlad, I would like to give my life to Jesus. Vlad, I would like to today come back to Jesus Christ. I lost that relationship. I'm like Peter. Or I'm like, man, I've never believed in this, but today I'm, I'm opening my mind and I'm willing to take the step. I want to trust in this guy you're talking about, this man, this God. When I count to three, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. This is going to be your way of saying, Jesus, I need your Savior. I need your saving. If you're watching us online, you can comment in the chat and say, I want to be saved. That's all you got to do. Just comment in the chat and we will, we will pray with you in just a second. One, two, three. Just raise that hand high if you're saying, this is me, Vlad. This is me. Just raise that hand high. Don't be ashamed. Don't think, don't worry about who thinks what and everything. You're not here for anybody. You're here for your and for God. Just raise your hand high. If you're saying, hey, I would like to give my life to Jesus today. Thank you. I see your hand. Anybody else? Everybody online who's saying, hey, today I would like to get saved. Thank you. I see your hand. Anybody else who say, I would like to give my life to Jesus today. The offer stands. Thank you. I see your hand. Jesus is offering eternal life today. The only thing He wants in return is you. He wants your heart. He loves you. He wants you today. If you raise your hand, I'm going to ask you to take, a, to take a bold step right now, courageous step. I'm going to ask you to come forward to where you're, from where you're standing, come forward and come and meet me right here at the altar. You can come with your friend, with your family member, but come forward. Don't be ashamed. Don't be embarrassed. We celebrate that decision. I see already tears on some of your eyes. The Lord is touching you. The Lord is bringing you to Himself. Just come forward. Just come forward from wherever you are, whether you're in the back or you're in the front. Just come forward. It is a huge decision and it's going to make a huge impact in your life. If you're watching me live right now, your coming forward is going to be to go to the phone to hungrygen.com forward slash saved and let us know. Come, come. I know there's more people. I know there's more people that are waiting that the Lord wants to bring you home. The Lord is inviting you. As the team will sing, I'm going to give you 30 more seconds to make your way forward. Religion cannot save you any more than going to McDonald's will not make you a burger. Only Jesus can save you. Religion did not die for you, Jesus died for you. Church didn't die for you, Jesus died for you. Pastor didn't die for you, your Pope, your priest didn't die for you, only Jesus died for you. And He's waiting for you today. And He's calling for you. Come, come to Him. You're not coming to me, you're not coming to Hungry Gen, you're coming to Jesus. family member this will be a good moment to ask him is he talking about you do you need to give your life to Jesus today I'll walk with you and bring him family members and friends don't let other friends and family members go to hell we got to bring people to Jesus don't force anybody don't drag anybody but kindly ask if they say yes come with them come with them come with them thank you Lord thank you Lord those of you online I want you to get ready right now we're gonna pray we're gonna pray with you and we're gonna pray with everybody here I want us to pray this. Open your heart before the Lord. You can stretch your hands like this if you would like. It's just an act of I'm receiving from the Lord. Say this with me. Say, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. 
I repent of my sin. I believe you are the Son of God who died for me as the substitute for my sin. I choose to repent of my rebellious ways and I give you my life. Fill me with your Spirit and live through me. And from this day forward, resurrect me spiritually. In Jesus' name. Amen. Our team is going to pray for you in just a moment. But I want to congratulate you. The Bible says if we believe with our heart and confess with our mouth, a miracle has started. Your next step will be to get water baptized if you have not. And then to join a local church. If you don't have a church, welcome to ours. If you have a church, go to the church that you already been going to. Amen. Our team is going to pray for you just a little bit more. Follow my wife in, into the room. We're just going to take a few more moments. Church, can we give a round of applause to these precious people? Come on. Let's just follow them. Come on. Come on. For those of you online, pull out your phone right now. Go to hungrygen.com forward slash save. Let us know that you pray that prayer. Church, our service is coming to an end. We only have 18 minutes before the next one starts. If you would help us to free the parking lot so that new people can come in, we will really appreciate it. We will see you next Sunday for our special service, our prayer line service. Better is not good enough. The best is yet to come. God bless you. Have a wonderful Resurrection Sunday. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. If you are blessed by this message, be sure to subscribe and send it to someone. And don't forget, you can always share it on your social stories. Stay connected with us on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. For more information on internship, prayer line, conferences, and other resources, go to hungrygen.com. Remember, better is not good enough. The best is yet to come.